Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I'm very excited and blessed to have the following guest join us. Uh, since 2012, he's been the president of Newman Theological College here in Edmonton and earned his PhD in philosophy, philosophy from the University of Waterloo back in 2003. And he's published several scholarly articles on the topics of philosophy and theology. Very interesting stuff there. Uh, he's also a family man, and most importantly, he is our brother in Christ. Dr. Jason West, welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks for the invitation to join in the conversation today. Well, it's great to catch up with you again, Jason. You know, this, uh, this whole virus thing has taken a lot of us out of, uh, out of commission when it comes to seeing people in person. And uh, so it's been a few years since uh, our paths have, have crossed. And I was just actually talking to my wife, too. And I said, you know, when's the first time we saw Jason? I said, it was actually a Theology on Tap back a long time ago. Not to age you or myself, but <laughs> I think it was at the old Iron Horse um, oh, bar yeah. there on White Avenue. Do you remember that? That was uh, this is. I remember ago. giving a talk there, yeah, years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was the first time. Yeah, so so time flies, but it's great to see you're you're in Edmonton still, Jason, and mm-hmm. and uh, and being part of Team Jesus here in the Archdiocese. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, you got to love Facebook. I was telling you earlier, too, that uh, I noticed uh, on your Facebook feed that you said it's been 25 years since you've joined the church. And I, I didn't realize you were a convert, Jason. So maybe I know that's probably a, that could be a podcast episode in itself, probably. But do you have a Coles Notes version that you want to share with us oh. on that journey to the church? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. Yeah. It's April 6th was my, my uh, anniversary of my baptism. So I was uh both baptized as well as confirmed and uh first holy communion all in one uh wonderful go at easter vigil uh yeah so i guess uh, you know and, and in that i mean it's uh, my, my journey was really a journey from from kind of atheism uh to uh to the faith uh my my parents had been um brought up in the united church tradition in canada and you know ads around the time they had been married, uh, really stopped practicing their, their faith, I think for personal, you know, reasons, you know, somebody, you know, said something that kind of was off putting and, um, you know, and they just uh, voted with their feet, I guess. Um, and, and so when we never went to church growing up, I, I did go for a while with a friend more to spend time with my friend than to uh, get something out of the service. Cause I was, you know, it was foreign to me. Uh, but really, it was when I was in uh, graduate school at U- University of Waterloo, again, which is a you know secular, typical public university, um, uh, doing philosophy. And, and I went there really wanting to do ancient Greek philosophy, which I had uh, gotten a love for during my undergraduate degree. Uh, and they had a really wonderful um, expert in medieval philosophy. Um, uh, there, uh, who was teaching our, a course during my master's degree, 
And so I signed up because I'd never studied in the area before. And, you know, that's sort of a more out of careerism because you want to do a course with all of the, you know, people who have an international reputation as scholars. So I, I signed up. And um, as a result of that, I, I, it was a course on Thomas Aquinas and uh, on a specific aspect of his thought. Uh, and I, I did a paper comparing his thought with Augustine's at the time. And it was my first exposure to either of them. Um, and then I began my PhD shortly after and got kind of sidetracked and spent about a year reading uh, Augustine and uh, not really making much progress on my PhD <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, because I was reading all, all, all this Augustine and, and not really getting writing and, and you know, things done. Uh, but during the course of that, uh, I... Um, uh, at one point, it you know it began to dawn on me, you know, that there was an. Uh, you know, I was still reading as an atheist, looking for, um, really for answers to questions I had, or you know, looking at the arguments or the ideas he was presenting with a view to where I could object to them. Uh, and at some point in that process, I began to realize, you know, there was a bigger picture here than I was. Uh, aware of you know there was uh, there was uh, the whole framework of the Christian Bible of uh, faith of being part of a community prayer a spiritual life and, and a liturgical life that I knew nothing uh, about uh, and so you know as a matter of kind of intellectual curiosity I guess more than anything uh, at first I asked a, a friend I was studying with who's a professor now in Antigonish, Nova Scotia at St. Francis Xavier University, uh, who I knew as a Catholic from our discussions of philosophy and things, if, uh, if I could go to Mass with him sometime. And, and so I did. It was sort of a Saturday evening vigil at a, a typical kind of neighborhood parish. So it wasn't, uh, it was a very much what most of us experience every Sunday. It wasn't a uh, Easter vigil or anything, uh, and um, but I was very moved by you know, the um, experience of the uh, liturgy, the consecration of the Eucharist, and uh, the, just the experience of seeing the simple people of faith receiving communion uh, that that struck me very deeply, and then. Um, so, so the next week, I, I just looked up in the phone book uh, where the church was closest to my house uh, and went there. Well, you know, I called them, found out when Mass was and walked over. Uh, and um, again, a very similar experience. And, um, and, and as I was leaving the church, uh, I... Um, the priest who celebrated Mass was, you know, it, as priests do, uh, was standing in the lobby shaking hands. And I happened, you know, without any, you know, uh, planning or forethought, happened to walk by and shake his hand. And um, out of my mouth comes come the words, you know, can I talk to you sometime about, uh, uh, about joining the church, you know, which I, was not really premeditated at all. Uh, to which he gave this, you know, very Catholic answer, which I will, you know, never forget as long as I live. Uh, the forms are over there, <laughs> and he points you because, of course, he thought he, he thought I meant, you know, where do I sign up and get tax receipts? Um, and uh, uh, he noticed, I guess, the you know, kind of curious look on my face, and uh, and said, "Oh, do you do you mean actually becoming Catholic?" And I said, "Yes, you know, Father, that's more what I." But I had in mind, and um, 
and so he said a bit of a prayer and then we started to, to meet and talk. So that's sort of how, how things got started anyway. Isn't that interesting? And I would say in the spiritual life, there's no coincidences, right? So Jason probably wasn't your, your intent to necessarily oh. say it like that, but isn't that funny? And, and the rest is history kind of thing, right? To put you on that journey. Well, every important thing that's, you know, I, I was asked to do a, a uh, an essay on my conversion for a, a book uh, called Canadian Converts, Volume 2. And our, our friend uh, who was on your show, Dr. Topping, has an essay on his uh, in that as well. And and so, uh, you know, one of the things I, you know, I mentioned in the beginning of that is everything important in my life, you know, seems to have happened by accident, you know, at the time. But then you start to look back, you can see God's providence working through it in hindsight. I think that's the case for lots of us. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. And that is a, that is a good book that, uh, and, and Dr. Ryan also has uh, several other books as well that he's got. So uh, no, that's, uh, that's a great connection. And yeah, I'd love to, love to hear that full version of that test. I'm sure there's a lot more into that too, Jason. And I, uh, another thing that I'm interested in is, um, you know, possibly doing a series of, of interviews with people kind of before our CIA season, you know, when people, and I really feel, and we can be a touch base on this a little bit later uh, in our conversation, but there is an opportunity, I think, coming up for us Catholics to, to really be evangelizing and, and bringing people back to the church. There's going to be a swath of Catholics that are, that are we're going to have to invite to bring them back anyways after this whole virus thing settles down. But uh, I think there's an opportunity for people outside the church that we can reach out to as well. And stories like yours, Jason, are, are so important. So. Um, so it's almost been 10 years now, uh, Jason, that's nine years, I guess, that you've been the, the, the president there and, uh, boy, time flies by and I think it times flies by faster when you have kids too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you notice it because they're growing up, you know, so quickly and, uh, you know, gives a visible reminder of time going by. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's a really, well, there's a lot of great stuff going on at, uh, Newman's right now, but one in particular I wanted to chat with you about, and I, you know, I found this verse, actually, I brought it up in a, in a previous podcast here, and I thought it fit in really well with the mission of Newman Theological College. And I, I thought I was going to just read it here for our listeners, too. And it's from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, 11 through 16. And uh, this is how it goes. It says, mm-hmm. And his gifts were that some should be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed back and forth, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men, by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied when each part is working properly makes bodily growth and up up builds it itself in love and uh, end quote so I, I really love that that passage jason it seems to fit in real well with what what's going on at newman's nowadays and uh, and and over the last several years um you know building up the body of christ locally jason but also building it up uh, in, a, in a larger scale for Western Canada, for our country of Canada. So maybe tell us a little bit too about the, the history of Newman Theological College uh, and how it services not only the Archdiocese of Edmonton, where you and I live, but also for Western Canada. Sure. Uh, it's uh, Last year, we actually celebrated our 50th anniversary. So we were founded in uh, 1969 
through through an act of the Alberta legislature. But we really grew out of St. Joseph's Seminary, which had been here uh, much earlier since uh, you know early days of the 20th century. Uh, I think 1917, I believe it was founded. I might be a little bit off because there was an oblate scholastic at first and then the diocesan seminary was uh, founded a few years after the oblate scholastic. Uh, so they had had a long history here of forming and educating uh, future priests. And uh, really the idea of Newman Theological College was born out of uh, the Archbishop of Edmonton uh, at the time, Archbishop uh, jo Anthony Jordan, his experience of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, and, and this gave him a, a, an idea where there should be a way in which both people preparing for ordained ministry as priests or people preparing for a religious vocation, a life of uh, the uh, evangelical councils, the vows with the religious order, or lay people uh, preparing to serve the church in the midst of the world should be able to come together and study theology in a way where they mutually inform one another's experience and growth. Uh, so that men and women, uh, whether they're lay religious or uh, seminarians preparing for ordination could come together and learn from one another to serve the church. So that was sort of the, the founding vision of the college, which continues on today. So in all, uh, you know, in all of our program, our BA program, our Master of Divinity program, we have seminarians, lay people studying together and enriching one another's uh, experience that way. So that is sort of our foundational charism, if you will. And how many students are, are attending right now between the seminary, St. Joseph Seminary, and, and Newman's? Right now we would have, I believe, in the, the mid-20s uh, for seminary students, which you know is lower than it's been recent years. We, we had, uh, in recent years, been going up significantly. Um, so, so that's an area where we want to, to build and support diocese and developing a culture of vocation. Uh, overall, we would have about 300 students in terms of headcount. Many of those would be part-time uh, students amongst lay, lay people. Uh, one of our big programs is a Master's of Religious Education, which is uh, largely teachers who are working professionally within uh, Catholic schools uh, already, and they come to do professional development to study theology, to help teach religion, or prepare for leadership roles in the educational community. Um, you know, so those are obviously people studying part-time. Yeah, that's great. And, and like you said, Jason, we need to foster a, a, a positive environment for, for priests and for religious and, uh, and building that up. And, you know, it's still fun. It, it's amazing to me too, that uh, a lot of people, even in our own archdiocese, just, they may have heard of Newman Theological College. They may have heard of St. Joseph Seminary, but really don't have a lot of connection or haven't chosen to, to look into it more and see what it's all about. And that starts at a really young age. We, you know, even even kids in high school, they don't really know much about it. And I'll probably ask you a question about that here in, in a few minutes. But let's talk about uh, this relatively new program. And I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I I think uh, the sky's the limit. I always say Catholics, we got to dream big. And I think this is uh, part of dreaming big in our church. You know, we're, we're made for greatness and magnanimity. And I, I, and I love that part of our church. So the Bachelor of Arts in Catholic Studies, 
So I guess it's something relatively new, but what was the motivation behind that concept and, and the program, Jason? Well, uh, yeah, so it is new. Our, our very first group of students began this September. Uh, that, that's been a, a, a real uh, interesting journey, but what, what led to it really was uh, a few factors. Uh, we had, um, you know, we, we, we've had over the years different ways of uh, helping uh, seminary students particularly uh, prepare for uh, their Master of Divinity degree, their theological degree of theological studies. Uh, and uh, over time, as you can imagine, uh, the, the Holy See has, uh, from time to time, uh, made additions to what um, is required to be a priest. And uh, one of the things uh, that one finds if one's kind of working in this uh, area of the vineyard, this, this part of the church, uh, is the expectations are always in the direction of adding new things, never in the direction of taking anything away. Uh, so, so we were in a position for various reasons where, you know, a seminarian could come to us right out of high school, uh, and it would take that fellow 10 years before they were ready to be ordained a priest. Uh, and I could, um, you know, again, because of all sorts of particular circumstances, uh, which make sense, you know, historically and, and in the context. But I, I, you know, I could send somebody uh, out of high school to University of Alberta and make them a brain surgeon quicker than I could make them a priest. Now, of course, spiritually is probably more important for their preparation as a priest. But, but nevertheless, that, that seems... Um, um, you know, a, a bit, a bit challenging, and, and of course, this you know creates challenges for formation because you know the, the longer one's time in formation, the more challenges there are in terms of perseverance uh, in, in that early period, and uh, the greater costs and resources put into etc. Uh, and so, the, what the church asks really for for being a priest is two years of philosophical study and four years of theology. Uh, this does not fit very well into North American educational degree structures because we don't have two-year undergraduate degrees. Um, uh, but we do have a history of three-year undergraduate degrees. So we thought, you know, we could save a year of formation by giving a three-year program in Catholic studies. And we could also do it in a way that would be more directly beneficial to seminary formation because uh, seminarians really begin with a year of spiritual preparation, what we call a propodeutic year. Propodeutic just means preparatory. So they come, uh, they begin to develop a regular prayer life. They pray the liturgy of hours in community. Um, they do, you know, they have time for retreats. They uh, will do time of, of service amongst the poor. Uh, they'll get a bit of readings, but you know, they'll tend to read the spiritual classics they'll learn the catechism again, because people come into the seminary with great goodwill, but not necessarily um, a fulsome pre preparation, right? So a lot of that's done in that early first year. Uh, and the, the church envisages these years of uh, philosophical study that we're delivering in this uh, program on Catholic studies as being an extension of that propodeutic year as being done with a view to their human growth and maturity, uh, the development of a regular prayer life, 
and so forth. So it wants us to integrate what they're learning academically with the spiritual life and the human maturity that uh, is going on in the seminary. Uh, and when we looked at that and what the church is asking, we thought, well, there's no other institution that's going to deliver an, a BA program in that way. Uh, and what's more, if we deliver the BA program in that way, wouldn't it be great if we, in keeping with that foundational uh, spirit uh, of the college, opened it to uh, young people coming out of high school looking for a university education so that they could be studying alongside these seminarians and enriching uh, what uh, those who are going to be priests learn and how they learn and vice versa, having lay people coming out of high school, studying alongside seminarians and learning from them, you know, really creating a school of vocation, whether that's a vocation to priesthood, married life, a religious community and so forth. So that was sort of the original spark. And this really came out of dialogue with the bishops of Western Canada and what, how they saw uh, the needs for seminary formation being fulfilled. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, you know, we, we need good holy vocations in every area, right, of the church. It's uh, obviously we need holy priests. We need uh, holy marriages as well. And, and uh, you know, even people coming out of high school. I know what it was like when I was a kid. You know, you're not 100% sure what, what you're going to do sometimes. And sometimes just getting thrown into a, a secular university or, a, you know, a secular environment like that with when you don't have the support of, your parents, uh, maybe some other peers that are that go to the church like like you do, uh, and we've seen that, uh, Jason. You know the, the statistics say that a lot of kids uh, they they hit that university age and they they leave the faith. And um, you know, at the tender age of seventeen or eighteen, we're just not quite you know mature enough for in a lot of areas, especially spiritually, right? So this is really exciting in that way. So uh, it's and such a unique year. Who would have ever thought we'd have to deal with this virus? Yeah. But uh, September being the first uh, group, how, how many came in? And did you sort of see, because um, I'm sure there's an application process that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. Have you seen sort of a trend on, on what kind of um, young people are signing up for this? And maybe I shouldn't just say young people. I'm sure it's open to if you're in your 20s too. But have you seen a, a trend of, of where the students are coming from? And uh, are they mostly local? Or are they coming from across Canada? What are you seeing uh, on that side of things? Well, it's a little hard to say at the moment because we're, you know, this first group is um, unusual in that they are all seminarians. And this was in part because, you know, two reasons. One, the provincial approval became very late uh, last summer. So we, uh, you know, we got through the process. And by that time, really the only group that we could really conceivably, you know, get in to commit three years of their life were you know, people entering the seminary who were planning to, to be here for three years anyway. Uh, so we didn't really have time to do a fulsome marketing campaign elsewhere. Um, uh, this year, we're targeting around 20 uh, students. Uh, about five or six of those at the moment look like they'll be seminary, new seminary students. Uh, and we'd be looking for 15 to 20 lay students uh, here. You know, again, our focus is primarily uh, on um, recruiting people coming out of high school, so a younger, de- which is a younger demographic than, than that we've we've been in. Uh, there's also, you know, within that, I think a, a higher than normal uh, number of people coming from a homeschooling background. Uh, you know, so probably about a third to a half uh, of these uh, students uh, that we're in conversations with are 
you know, from a homeschooling background as well. So it's an interesting um, community for us to be in, engaged with. Yeah, that's outstanding, right? And we were so, it's great here in Alberta, Jason, we do have school choice. Some of our listeners yeah. that aren't from Alberta, they don't, maybe don't realize that, but we've, uh, we're really blessed that way that we do have a strong presence of Catholic education from K to 12. And, uh, and then we've got a lot of, a lot of families at homeschool as well, which is, which is great. And, uh, they can get funding from the government that way as well. We have such a vibrant history of Catholicism, don't we, in Alberta? Uh, I know that you, you grew up in Eastern Canada, but I'm sure now that uh, you've been here, you're pretty much in Alberta now. You're you're one of us now, Jason. Yeah, but, well, three uh, of my kids were born here, so. That's right, that's right. So you're, yeah, you're Wild Rose country now. But, uh, you know, the history of Catholic, the Catholic Church is, uh, you know, from the Oblates to, you know, just just throughout the years is, is so vibrant and so rich, but a lot of people just don't know about that, do they, mm-hmm. Jason? There's, there's a lot of ignorance and uh, a lot of going along the ways of the world and, and looking at, the church as not being influential and that's that's not the case at all right and how are you finding that reception from you know some of these young people that are that are um that are replying you know they're they're part of the baptized how can they contribute to the church and maybe making that decision to sign up and taking that step to to going to college in this way yeah um well i it's really encouraging in a lot of ways we've and we've done some empirical study as well in terms of locally um terms of engagement with both the church and the various Catholic agencies uh, in Edmonton. Uh, and one of the interesting things that we find we find here, which you know I think it seems to be representative with similar studies elsewhere, is that uh, the younger demographic is showing a much higher degree of commitment uh, that the proportion of those who are saying uh, it is uh, for those who say, religion is a factor in their life, they're far more likely to say it's important or very important to them uh, than those who are in their 40s, you know, in our generation of 40s, 50s, uh, 60s and up, um, uh, you know, who are, are more likely to, you know, to say it's moderately important or marginally important uh, to them. Uh, and that's amongst those who, you know, who aren't in the category of, uh, for whom religion isn't an issue at all. Um, so, so there is a, a kind of renaissance, a, a rebirth of uh, desire amongst young people for uh, an engagement with the church that's deep and serious. Uh, and, you know, in some ways, I think, you know, that's not surprising. We find, you know, the things that we're going through and people are experiencing at a young age are traumatic. And often, you know, they, they have more experience of you know, family breakdown of, uh, uh, you know, problems of abuse and mental health that are talked about more often. Uh, and so where, where do you see healing from these things? Well, the church is one of those, you know, probably the most, uh, you know, aside from uh, medical help when that's called for, uh, the, you know, in terms of the effects of these things on our spirit, the church is uh, really the oasis in the desert uh, that we're living through. So, uh, I think that's a natural place to gravitate uh, towards. And I think that focus too of uh, not only learning academically, Jason, but the difference between going to a secular university and staying somewhere where you can get a Catholic education is you can have that sacramental life, that spiritual mm-hmm. life. And, uh, you know, yeah. especially at a young age, you've got to bring those together. They've got to merge at some point in your life if you want to be a, 
you know, a follower of Christ. And I yeah. think that's why this is exciting. Yeah, well, I, I think it's, you know, it's also important, you know, that this is, you know, what we're proposing is, is also uh, has definitely those elements, you know, around, you know, there's a sacramental life, we're fostering a life of prayer. Uh, but also on top of that, you know, what we're proposing is really a, a real baptism in a deep way, uh, metaphorically, into the intellectual life and tradition of the church. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're not proposing uh, a Bible school or uh, a faith sharing community. Uh, what we're proposing is, you know, a, a rigorous study of uh, the intellectual life in a way that's quite unique in uh, particularly in Canada. So it's characterized by being a great books program. So uh, typically in university undergraduate courses, you would typically get a textbook summary of the subject you're studying uh, that you then you know get questioned uh, upon. Um, whereas our students are going to be reading Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, uh, Martin Luther, Calvin, uh, Nietzsche in their original uh, texts. Uh, and so they'll be wrestling with the great minds of the tradition firsthand. Uh, also, it's being presented in a, uh, um, what, what we philosophers like to call a Socratic method, really just a question and answer method. So rather than uh, just going to a lecture and writing notes, which you know, has its place and communicates uh, knowledge, uh, particularly is very good at communicating a large amount of knowledge in a short space of time. Uh, but um, here they're going to be questioned and answered and having to think through for themselves these ideas and become an active participant in the, the great conversation that's formed our tradition. Uh, and, and we see that really intellectual life then as, as a primary component of the program, which is then complemented by the prayer, by the, the, the liturgical life. Uh, because, you know, the problems of our culture you know, at least, you know, in my own estimation, are really fundamentally intellectual problems. We have, you know, a crisis of confidence in, in reason. We've gone from kind of early modernity and the Enlightenment when there was an overconfidence in reason that we can work out all the solutions to things on our own and who needs God to the point where um, reason is suspect. Uh, if you give me reasons, well, this is just a kind of manipulation, right? Knowledge is power and, and giving reasons for your view, you know, is just a way of trying to exert, coerce me into agreeing with you. Uh, everything is, is persuasion or marketing, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and so that's really at a, you know, and because of that, we end up with a naturalism, you know, where we lose uh, because we we don't feel we don't have confidence in reason to know about God and the good, uh, so there's no place for grace. Everything is na you know natural uh, and and left to work out on its own devices. And then our our theory of what it means to be human is um, anthropomorphic, you know, self-centered and um, materialist. Um, uh, and so, you know, all of those problems that we, you know, we, we see in our culture are, are really intellectual problems. They're not, they're not problems that are solved by having, uh, you know, just a good moral practice as much of, you know, they're all contrary to good moral practice in various ways. They erode 
uh, the moral life, but just living a moral life isn't going to solve those problems for our culture. They have to be solved through the life of the mind. Uh, and that's the work that you know, has been evacuated by uh, our, much of our, no, not all certainly, but by, by, by much of uh, the public university life. Um, fortunately, we have some very good Catholic uh, schools in Canada still here in Edmonton, where we're blessed we actually have two really good Catholic colleges. We have St. Joseph's College at U of A, which offers opportunity to study in the Catholic tradition to students on the University of Alberta campus. Uh, and then, you know, our program is, you know, an independent one. So it's, it's more focused and particularly for those who are interested in working in a way that is uh, uh, directly in the service of the church. And we've seen the secular universities and the, and the direction that they're going in. It's, uh, it's uh, for Catholic thought to, to exist. It's a, it's a tough place. It's a, it's a, it's a threatening place. It'd be, it's very difficult for, for students to live their faith in, in the face of, uh, of a, really a message that a lot of times is promoting an anti-gospel, right? And, yeah. and uh, that's, uh, that pressure is, is difficult. So um, when we talk about the classical definition of a Catholic liberal arts education, I mean, we talked about even just in your conversion story, how Augustine and Aquinas, how they had so much influence in or at least planting the seeds for you to, to come to the church eventually. Um, I think one of the, the issues, Jason, I'd like to get your thoughts on it, is that, you know, your rank and file high school age student, junior high student that's Catholic today in Alberta and in probably other areas too, but if we're just talking about Alberta, I don't think they've really had any kind of exposure to these great minds in the church you know unless maybe you're you have a good parents or a good family that'll provide that support and and introduce you to the the thought of the church and of christendom right mm-hmm. um do you, do you kind of foresee that there might be some hurdles in in kind of getting some of these young people to kind of change their way of thinking to where what you see in the media and the world can be very negative towards the catholic church and catholic thought but then introducing them to the greatness of Christendom and so many great voices from our past. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Jason? Well, yeah, it does. And, and I think it's, you know, it's even more than that. I don't even think it's necessarily, you know, a case here of Catholic or secular. Uh, I think it's often a challenge because when, when students are coming to us now out of high school, they don't read. You know, they may have read one Shakespeare play in high school. Uh, you know, and, and they would have read, you know, the other things they read are, you know, contemporary, you know, short novels for the most part, uh, rather than, you know, great works. Uh, and, and so as a result, they, they often don't like to read because they, they've not been exposed to great works of literature. They've been exposed to popularized literature or genre fiction, which is, you know, you know might appeal uh, in a certain sense at the moment. But is largely replaceable and not not deep, not necessarily deeply meaningful. Um, and again, the, this is a, a very you know, I'm painting in very broad strokes. Of course, there's you know exceptions to to these things. Uh, but many of us haven't you know coming out of high school haven't cultivated a habit of reading great great works. So I think that's the that's the first thing is to take joy in it, right? And and so really one of the things our, our all of our professors are you know concerned with is, is really uh, sharing their love of, of this with the students, right? There's a certain content that has to be uh, conveyed, uh, but more important of the, the, uh, than that, really at the start, at least, is sparking the desire for 
uh, for knowledge and uh, and for understanding that is you know part of being human, uh, which is being eroded, uh, you know, part of our humanity that you know is being eroded by our culture where uh, we fill up our time with as uh, Dr. Topping talked to you about in his discussion around leisure, where we fill up our time with ephemeral uh, entertainment, um, uh, you know, which has its place. You know, it, it helps re revive us so that we can go back to our, our work more fulsomely if it's done in a, a proper order. Um, but, you know, developing that habit of reading, which, you know, is not a, a non that's not a question of Catholic or not, that's just a question of uh, the intellectual life of our community uh, and its uh, state at the moment. Absolutely, you know, and it, it seems like cancel culture itself. You know that this this term yeah. that is, uh, you know, it's uh, this monstrosity that seems to have been created. It it does seem to have its crosshairs aimed at Christendom and and what made Western civilization so great, right, Jason? So maybe I guess my question is, how important is it for Catholics of all ages? You know, we're not just talking about young people, but even even folks our age, you know, to learn the truth about the history and, and the writings, teachings of the great saints and the, the philosophers of our church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that's really, especially in our culture, so important because uh, an uninformed faith at this point in history, you know, uh, how can that survive, right? I, I can go along for a certain amount of time because Perhaps, you know, this is what my parents did. This is what my grandparents did. Uh, you know, it's what I'm comfortable with. It's my habit. Uh, but without really understanding deeply the reasons uh, for doing those things, the reasons for uh, having a sacramental life, a prayer life, for going to church on, on Sunday rather than on Wednesday or, or something, uh, you know, if I don't have reasons for that, I'm, eventually I'm going to stop doing it. And even if I don't stop doing it, uh, if I can't articulate those reasons to my children, they're going to stop doing it. They're not going to take, um, uh, as they don't take in any other area of their life, my parents told me to do this as, as a good reason to keep doing it, <laughs> uh, you know, as they get older and, and become adults in their own right. right? Uh, we have to help them think through these things. And if we haven't thought through them, uh, if our faith is at the level of a, an elementary school student, well, why should we expect to be able to answer the challenges of our teenage children? Uh, why should we be able to answer the challenges that arise in our own faith life uh, if, if we haven't understood it in an adult form? No, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to make the faith's got to be your own eventually. Right. And you mm. plant those seeds, but it's got to be got to be your own. I was, uh, we, I mentioned you offline, I was talking to somebody else from another province and um, during this time of the virus has been very difficult for Catholics in other places, even just in Canada. They haven't been able to go to mass. Uh, receiving, uh, receiving the Eucharist has been difficult for some people and, uh, and going and living that sacramental life. Um, what do you envision for, not only for, for Newman's and, and for, for our Archdiocese of Edmonton, but um, this opportunity, I think, that's coming for Catholics. Um, I think this is kind of a time, at least my personal feelings, there's a little time here for us to regroup and and take a look at the, the needs, not only of our, our church, but also the outside world and, and to be an example. I don't know if we've fully grasped and, and taken advantage of this opportunity during this virus to really be a beacon of, of light, maybe the way we should have. But, um, but of course, God is merciful. He always gives us more chances. But you know, when things get back to 
somewhat normal. Um, what, what do you envision as the, the mission of, of Newman Theological College, the Archdiocese of Edmonton, and, and just Catholics in general to reach out to this world? Well, I, I mean, I think it, it really rests in finding opportunity to share the joy of being a Christian. Uh, there is, uh, you know, in, in the Archdiocese of Edmonton, you know, this is a little older now, four or five years ago, uh, we had a, a project for a few years uh, called Nothing More Beautiful. And this was really inspired by a passage from Benedict XVI, that there's nothing more beautiful than to be a Christian. Well, how many of the people in our parishes believe that and show that in their life, that joy? Uh, how, how many people who encounter me in my life outside of the church, in my day-to-day -day work, uh, in my family life, uh, really sense this deep joy that I have, or do I have it, <laughs> uh, is a question. You know, do I, I really have it? You know, does being a Christian uh, bring joy to my life? Does experience, my experience of prayer and the sacraments uh, make me happy? And, and this joy is not, you know, I'm not talking about going around with a cheerful grin uh, all of the time. Uh, this can be compatible with deep suffering, right? Jo uh, you know, it's one of the mysteries, uh, you know, Christ, uh, uh, lived uh, a certain type of joy even on the cross, right? Uh, so, so it's certainly compatible with uh, with great suffering. Uh, and you know, until we show uh, the joy of being a Christian, which you know, radiates from a certain understanding of the Christian life, right? Of, of how what I'm doing is integrated with uh, the life of Christ and thus reflects the life of Christ. Um, well, we're not going to move anybody. Nobody's going to be moved by, uh, you know, if Christianity makes me grumpy and argumentative and spiteful, uh, who wants it? Right? That's not going to evangelize anyone. Uh, and again, not that we're going to live a life of joy to, for, you know, to try to trick people into the church, uh, but rather just because it's authentic and we want to share our joy with our friends. Uh, that's a very natural uh, you know, kind of evangelism, which, you know, isn't, uh, you know, tr trying to browbeat uh, people. And, um, and again, it's not argumentative. It's a matter of just explaining clearly how I've come to discover this joy through my knowledge and my relation with Christ. Yeah, I think our personal testimonies mean a lot, don't they, Jason? Because yeah. that's our stories, right? And, and how, how Jesus has touched our lives. And, and you have that, that great story of how the seeds are planted with you. And and I do, and I think we all do. So to share that is, is so important, isn't it? That that's that's authentic Christianity, yeah. isn't it? It's just sharing yeah. your stories. And that's what the world is, you know. I think starving for. You know, there's a um, uh, we didn't quite get to talking about Saint Thomas Aquinas, so I'll get a quote in uh, when he talks about uh, the cardinal, uh, not the cardinal virtues, the uh, the capital sins, uh, one of which is uh, sloth. Uh, badly translated, I think, into English as sloth. The Latin is uh, acidia, which, you know, when he talks about it, it's really uh, a, having a kind of sadness about spiritual matters because of the difficulty that they take. So when I don't want to do my prayer, or I don't feel like going to church. I have teenagers, so this sometimes comes up in conversation. Um, you know, uh, you know, this kind of spiritual sadness, uh, you know, uh, that arises. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is 
we're surrounded by by this. Uh, you know, people think of Christianity as a burden. Well, it's a bunch of rules I have to follow. It's uh, you know, I'll I'll have to get up on Sunday morning. It's a burden, right? Uh, and one of the things interesting things uh, Aquinas says in this context is that uh, since human beings cannot live without joy, if they cannot have any experience of spiritual joy, they will turn to carnal ones. Right? So, if, so if I can't experience spiritual joy, whether that's through, you know, through the arts, literature, the, the intellectual tradition, through the experience of the sacraments, a life of prayer, if I have none of that in my life, I'm going to turn to carnal joys. I'm going to turn to drugs, to sexuality, to alcohol, to all of the things that our culture uh, presents to us as opportunities to escape because I have to have joy. <laughs> I'm a human being. I can't live without being without delight of some sort, um, and, and that's very natural. And that's, you know, I think that's where the church has the opportunity to present um, something that's really delightful. But it, of course, it has to be authentic, right? If I'm if I'm not living a full Christian life, I, I'm not experiencing it. Well, I'm not going to move other people. Right? So, so it all rests really on our own um, life of prayer. Well, I told you, you know, good conversations, time flies. And uh, like I said, looking yeah. at it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, here we go. It just it, it flew by on us. Jason, I'd love to have you come on again and talk to us about what's going on at Newman's. And also, let's talk about Aquinas, too. That's probably, we could probably do a marathon on Aquinas and uh, some of the other great uh, voices in the church. Uh, but before we let you go, Jason, tell us how can people get a hold of you or how can they get a hold of more information uh, sure. what's going on at the Newman Theological College and if they're interested in enrolling in a program there? Yeah, well, the you know the uh, our website www.newman.newman.edu. Uh, certainly, if you go there, right on the front page will be um, uh, information about this new BA program, other programs that we offer as well, of course. Uh, but that's you know the the place to start. You can get information there. You can apply or connect uh, with somebody here at the college to to ask questions or, or get more information about what we're doing. Great insights and, uh, and a great uh, conversation. And uh, we, we could use a lot more of that in the world. So I uh, appreciate that very much. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Well, thanks a lot, David. It's been a joy. Well, thank you to Dr. Jason West for joining us in this edition of the podcast. And if you wish to check out the great work that's happening at Newman Theological College here in Edmonton, Alberta, the website is Newman, as in the great St. John Henry Newman. Edu. So that's newman.edu. So thanks again to Jason for his great insights and talking to us about even the importance of having a classical education and uh, one that's rooted in the Catholic Church and in Christendom. It's just so important and it's encouraging to see a lot of young people starting to commit to doing that right out of high school while they're still young. Those formative years are just so important. So you know, please continue to keep our diocese and the work of our theological college and seminary in your prayers. Well, thanks for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast, everyone. Uh, so much uh, great feedback and uh, great interactions I've been having with uh, so many of you. I appreciate you taking this journey of faith with me. I've been enjoying it so much, and I assure you of my prayers. And uh, keep praying for me as well. Again, we're in this journey together to heaven, and the experience is so much richer when we get to enjoy that journey together as a faith community. So thanks again. And you know, Catholics, if we want to make a true difference in this world, you know what we got to do? We got to live that sacramental life. 
So let's go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks again for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll talk to you very soon.